Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let's pray. Most gracious God, may your word have a transforming power over our minds, over our hearts, and over our lives, even if the transformation is convulsive. Amen. I thank the men who met with me at the Roanoker this past Wednesday morning for Bible study. First, I thank them for helping me think through the passage that I'm about to read. Second, I thank them in advance for listening to me talk about the passage a second time. Our passage comes from the first chapter of Matthew. Jesus is being introduced to the world and to the reader. Allow Mark to reintroduce Jesus to us now. Listen for who Jesus is in the reading of Mark chapter 1, beginning with the 21st verse. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astounded at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. We know what this story is about. It's about an exorcism. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue when he encounters a man with an unclean spirit. Be silent, come out of him, Jesus commands. And then the story gets dramatic. Well, maybe not as dramatic as what happened in the exorcist when Linda Blair's head did one of these. But it's dramatic. There is convulsion, there is screaming, and then the unclean spirit leaves them. We saw it. We heard it in our mind's eye. And after what we saw and heard, it is hard to imagine or to see or hear anything else. So we might be confused by those who were actually there who then asked the question that they ask. They don't ask, what just happened here? They don't ask, how did he do that? They do not ask, will whatever flew out of him somehow fly into me? Instead, they ask, what is this? A new teaching? Teaching? Where was Jesus teaching? Well, okay, he was teaching at the beginning of the passage. We are told that he enters the synagogue and teaches. We also hear that he is on his teaching game, that they are astounded at his teaching. They feel like he teaches as someone with authority. 
But I bet you that later when the families talk about what happened in synagogue that day, I bet they do not talk about this turn of phrase that Jesus used or an interesting point he made about the passage or some special insight they came away with. No, I bet they talk about the convulsions, the screaming, the spirit leaving. I consulted Lamar Williamson's commentary on Mark to help me understand this. Williamson was one of Millie's, my wife, Millie's Bible professors at the Presbyterian School of Christian Education. Excellent scholar, a true Christian gentleman who has given so much of himself to good causes. Family friend, I know him, I trust him, thus I turn to him. And Williamson gave a very solid, good, Calvinistic, Presbyterian explanation of the passage Presbyterians traditionally have emphasized the power of the word proclaimed to transform lives, and they have emphasized Jesus as the living word. And Williamson says that this passage demonstrates Jesus' authority in word and deed. He utters a word and performs a deed. Like God at creation who says, let there be, and order is brought to chaos, As day is separated from night and water is separated from land, Jesus demonstrates that same divine power in saying, come out, and order is brought to chaos. An unclean spirit comes out. He says, scat, and demons scat. So when he has something to say, you might want to listen to him. Now, that's a good point. I would listen. David Dickerson, for a while, held the position that Nancy Morris now holds at this church. He was our parish associate for congregational visitation. David has a son named Alan. Alan played shooting guard for his high school team that went on to win the state championship. And then he played for four years at Radford University. Today, Alan is a middle school teacher. And when he began teaching his first year, boys in his class did what middle school boys often do. They pushed the boundaries, testing the newbie teacher to see what they could get away with. That didn't last long. A few days into his first year teaching and during recess, some of the boys were messing around on the basketball court too roughly in a way that was not acceptable. So Alan got in the middle of them and stopped their horsing around. Give me the ball, he said. They gave him the ball, and they stood there looking at him with eyes already rolling to the back of their heads, waiting for the lecture to be over with. But Alan didn't say a word. Wearing khakis and dress shoes, Alan drove to the hoop and power-dunked the ball with both hands. He had no problem with the boys after that. He was one who talked with authority. And Williamson is right. That... That's in the passage. I mean, demons listen to Jesus. Do you think you better listen too? But I think there's more there. The writer of Mark's gospel is a theologian, and I think he's telling us more than that, something far more powerful and meaningful than that. Consider with me the unclean spirit. We call this a possession because the man isn't thinking or speaking for himself. It's as if his mind and heart have been taken hostage. And did you hear what came out of the man's mouth when he sees Jesus? The man cries out with the voice of whatever it is that has taken control. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What have you to do with us? The noun is singular, spirit. The voice is plural. What have you to do with us? One spirit speaking with many voices. I think that what is going on here is this. 
The unclean spirit of an entire community is speaking through this man. He has lost his free voice because his mind and his heart have been taken over by the sick spirit of a community, of a culture, maybe, of a movement. And there's nothing more theological than that realization. Because the greatest demonic spirits that move in this world are those where the sin of a community, of a culture, of a movement becomes the conviction of the individual's mind and the individual's heart. Let me try explaining with some extreme examples. Millie and I were poor early in our marriage, and it was fine. We were happy. We were happy in a chapter of our lives where we felt that we were moving toward a brighter future. We could feel the potential. We could see the light on the horizon. Being poor is one thing, but being possessed by poverty is another. As you heard Xavier say about the kids that he works with, poverty can do the thinking for you. Imagine a young woman living in grinding poverty. No one in her family has ever gone to college And men in her community are judged by how tough they are, and women are judged by how useful and pleasing they are to men. She has value only as men assign it to her. Those are the voices in her head. She has suffered abuse at the hands of family members and boyfriends when she hasn't played her role and then made to feel like she had it coming. Imagine an unclean spirit speaking through this woman asking, what have you to do with us? The us is the chorus of voices that have assigned her this place and this value. Those are the voices that must come out of her if she is to be free. Racism is a singular noun with plural voices, isn't it? I visited the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama. The exhibits freshened my memories of what it was like to be a young boy in Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama in the 1960s. Racism seemed to be written in the fabric of our world then. Some of the nicest, most respectable people I knew, some in church, accepted it, supported it, enforced it. At the museum, I remember seeing this picture in the exhibit. It was a picture of a father and son. The boy looked to be about six years old. So probably the picture was taken when I was around that age, living in either Georgia or Mississippi. And the father was standing there proudly in his KKK robe. And his son, how cute, was standing there beside him in a matching robe. Imagine an unclean spirit speaking through that young boy asking, what have you to do with us? The us is the chorus of voices of those who have already captured this child's mind and heart, convincing him that he is superior and privileged because of the color of his skin. They are the voices of his dad, probably his mom too, his friends at school, probably some of his teachers too, maybe even his preacher at church. His racism is a kind of ignorance, isn't it? What would it take to have those voices commanded to come out of that boy so that he could see freely, see that he is indeed a special child of God, but so is everybody else? Nationalism is a single noun with plural voices. 
Recently, I watched a powerful lecture given in London by Dr. Somebody. You can read his name when you read my manuscript. I cannot say his name. But I watched a powerful lecture given by him. He told the story of the failure of the German church in standing up to National Socialism. Many German pastors got caught up in the Nazi spirit, became convinced that the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament should be purged from the Bible and supported members of their church with Jewish ancestors being excommunicated. Imagine an unclean spirit speaking through one of those pastors asking, what have you got to do with us? Speaking are the voices of one of the most terrifying movements in history. They are the voices of political leaders who inspired him, beginning with Hitler, propagandists who convinced him, authorities who frightened and intimidated him, members of his church who demanded as much from him. What would it take to free the pastor of voices that have possessed him, even bending the cross of his faith into a swastika? The bystanders ask, what is this, a new teaching? What, what did they see that maybe we did not see in our mind's eye when we heard the passage? I think they saw a sort of education penetrate the ignorance of an unclean spirit. If this were an opening convocation for a college or a university or even the opening remarks of a PTA meeting at a local school, I could now make the point that so many educators make that teaching truth and training minds can change lives, and I would mean it. I mean, I heard an appeal from NPR this past week asking for people to call in and tell them if the listener thought that their college education was worth the cost. I came that close to calling in because, oh, yes, my college education meant everything to me. It literally changed my life. It made this life possible for me. But then I remembered I wasn't the one who paid for that education. Mommy and Daddy did. (laughs) They should be the ones who are asked that question, and I hope they would say it was worth it. But we're in church right now, not in a school. So I want to make a point that cannot be made in most schools, particularly secular ones. Jesus' sort of education, this transforming, exercising education is not just any education because education can be propaganda. Education can serve the causes of an unclean spirit. Hitler had highly educated people giving their all for his cause. And there are highly educated, highly trained folks out there trying to steal your identities online. I could go on. Matthew's education, the education that he speaks of, is the gospel education. It is a moral education that presents the truth as it is revealed in Jesus a truth that can transform the world, a moral education that has the power of exorcism because it can free a mind from voices that want to diminish that person or overinflate that person so as to use her or him to diminish others. When Jesus teaches, he teaches of God's love with content. He teaches the tradition of his ancestors, the law of Moses, and how it is fulfilled in him in his way of seeing and loving the world, which is also God's way of seeing and loving. He teaches a tradition of God's justice and God's mercy. 
He teaches about the power of God's kind of love that claims lives from the power of Pharaoh and Caesar, that redeems lives from shame and false pride. He teaches about the power of love to sacrifice and bear the cost that is required to bring the world what the world most needs, reconciliation. His teaching is different from that of the unclean spirits, the propaganda of the spiritual pharaohs that want to take you over and use you. His teaching is not coercive like theirs, but persuasive. That's why it has this power of an exorcism to work from within and expel what is there because Jesus has this way of finding you right at the point of your sin with truth that is hard to deny and finding in you that image of God so that you can remember that you're better than what any voice of sin has been telling you. His teaching is transforming because it has this way of enticing you, of of making you fall in love, of falling in love with God, helping you to fall in love with what God might see, fall in love with what should be kind and decent, Fall in love with what God wants from you and others and from the world. I understand about the separation of church and state. And I appreciate what it is that schools on their own are meant to do at their best. Create effective, productive, and law-abiding citizens of a community. So thank you, schools. But it is not enough. And yes, I hope that a moral education begins at home with lessons taught and examples shown. But every person and every family ought to ask themselves if in terms of faith formation and character development, if they or those for whom they have nurturing responsibility, they need to ask themselves if they are getting all that they need in order to truly know this Jesus more than a name. And live as those who not only know him, but in knowing him, have fallen in love with him. And have fallen in love with the God in him. And have learned then to love themselves and others as God loves them through him. Despite how common it is and seemingly acceptable in this brief window of history to say that each person has the power, has the ability in their own ignorance to choose for themselves their own morality... I put much more trust in those through the ages and those today who say that the very best moral education that overcomes shame or selfish desire comes within a healthy community of moral discernment. Do you like that phrase? (laughs) A healthy community of moral discernment. I just quoted a secular scholar just to tell you that there's research behind all of this in the secular world. But I'm in church, so let me be just plain as I can about what I am most grateful for in giving me the best of what makes my life meaningful and at times truly joyful, despite the truth that other unclean spirits find a way occasionally to speak through me. I am grateful for parents who were good Christian role models at home, but who gave me the priceless gift of taking me to church because I am also grateful for all of the teachers and role models and mentors and peers who created this whole network of support for me 
and trying and helping me become a good and decent person, which along the way I decided I wanted to be. And without this community that that openly talks about the God of creation of the whole world and talks about Moses and Jesus and Paul and of the men and women of church history, without this community that gave me a moral center and a moral grounding in which I can then have a real conversation with those of other faiths, I honestly don't know what kind of person I would have turned out to be. Even my church teachers back when I was a child who were themselves racist taught me the gospel that exercised that unclean spirit. Today is Rally Day. Through our educational program here at Second, we seek to be the means by which minds and hearts can be liberated. We seek to be the means by which the gospel can be persuasive, where children and adults can fall in love with God and fall in love with the vision of a kingdom where justice and kindness are normal. I invite you to look over the CE booklet and to stay in the conversation that keeps seeking the answers to the most important questions of our lives. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be a child of God? I'm going to look over that booklet. Elizabeth, And Rachel, you and your teams have not wasted your good efforts on me and my family. We are grateful. And we're coming to hear, to listen for this new teaching that can expel an unclean spirit with many voices. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.